That just surprises me. Every week we're adding like seven or eight cities and one or two countries to the number of people listening. So uh, this one goes up uh, probably tomorrow. Uh, so welcome aboard everybody who's listening from wherever you're listening. We're glad you're here with us. This is the Sunday evening service on February 23rd, 2020. We're in the book of Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. And uh, we're so thankful for everybody who... Um, who follows with us and, and is encouraged and keeps listening. And if you can ever find us on Facebook, let us know who you are. We'd love to reach out and connect with you. We have a new listener this morning, apparently. Someone who my wife knows, and uh, so that's exciting. Another new listener. Um... Philippians chapter 3, if you've been doing some studying, you're going to know the direction this goes, but maybe not quite the way Paul does this, because the simple way I can say this is the gospel message of Jesus Christ is preeminent. The great commission in Matthew is preeminent, which is Go into all the nations and make disciples, baptizing, teaching, and praying as you go. That's the Great Commission. And we are of the people who Paul talks to in this book. And he wants us, in, in, in especially the church of Philippi, to understand one thing, and that's a simple statement that's going to come out in this message real clear, that anything that's above the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life is an idol. Anything that is more important to you than Jesus is an idol. And sooner or later, God's going to strip that out of your life if you belong to Him. Anything you put above God in your life, He will rip away. Because He is a jealous God. He will make it so that you want to get rid of it or he'll make it so that it's no longer what it was and he's going to try and make it something that it is no longer preeminent for you. Why? Because we are named by the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And if we belong to God through Jesus Christ, he says that we have entered into a relationship with him that he protects that he wants to see grow and build and be used for his glory. In our lives, if there's anything that gets in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's in the way. Real simple. And Paul's getting ready to tell you in this passage, just that. Now, a little bit of background here. Uh, some people think that Paul's uh, readers are more than just the Gentile church in Philippi. That he also, they also believe that he possibly was uh, talking to some Jewish people who were converts, uh, who were out in Philippi area and in the other churches where this letter would be circulated. And, and the reason is, is because he starts talking about his Jewish heritage. And, and you're, if you're talking to a Gentile, they don't care and they don't put any weight on Jewish heritage. And if you're talking to a non-Roman citizen, 
uh, or a person who doesn't connect to Rome about your Roman greatness, they really don't care. It's not an adequate illustration for the church or his message. He would have had to use something else. So that's why they think there's maybe one, two, or three even different audiences for this book. But I want to share something with you. It matters not to me whether I'm Roman or not Roman, whether I'm Jewish or not Jewish. What Paul says speaks to me. This passage that we're going into transformed my life in September of 1982. I remember the day vividly. I remember reading it and coming to a deeper faith because of this passage. It's one of the reasons why I connect in it. One of the reasons I like it so much is because of what it spoke to me. And when I, when I read it, um, New King James Version wasn't out yet. I read it in the NIV and it had power then too. <laughs> and, it, and it really spoke to me. But um, the reason I mention all that is because if you let this work and this word have its work in you, you will come to the place where Paul talks about in the, in the middle of the verses here around 13, 14, and 15, where he says the most powerful passage in anything he's written about people who are listening to what he's saying. Fantastic stuff. But let's go back to verse 1 and, and chapter 3. I want to ask you one question before we yeah. start. I've got Helios written here. Mm-hmm. Uh, two or three times that you used that word. Yes, what I did. What that mean? Telios is the word for mature as you can be in that moment. Uh, yeah, other... he says, where he says he reached perfection and not, I have already reached perfection. Right. Yeah, teleos is one of my favorite words in Scripture. I've got it several times written in here and in the other places too where you... I can give you an example of what teleos looks like. When you first begin to believe in Christ, you start praying, reading the Bible, you know, getting in worship and fellowship and start uh, sharing your gifts with the world and helping people in those processes... When you get a little closer to God and you get a little deeper, you don't stop doing that stuff. That's the foundational stuff. And you don't ever leave your foundation. You continue to do the foundational stuff, but now you build on it. And so when you're first in something, you're learning all you can about it at that level which you're at. And once you get comfortable at that level, God doesn't want you to remain comfortable. He wants to challenge you to grow to a higher level. And that challenge to grow higher is what's called telios, the maturity which you're ready for and able to attain at that time. There are times in our walk with Christ where we don't attain that level. And Paul would say, we're still thinking like a child. We're not trying to grow. We're trying to plateau in the faith. There is no plateau in our walk with Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? It always grows deeper. There's always something more. And there's always more of God available if you're willing to receive His deeper truths. There's a lot of things I want to share with you as a church. And um, I've been working now for seven years to get you ready for these things. And hopefully when we get to them, you'll be going... Why didn't you share that earlier? And I'll say, because you weren't ready. (laughs) 
because we're almost to the point where we're ready to hear some of the messages I've been wanting to preach for a long time. And I'm looking forward to those days. So, maturity level. You can't build a tall building on sand. You've heard that story, a house built on sand and the rain comes, it's going to... So you have to build it on a rock, a foundation that's secure. However, just because you have a secure foundation in the faith doesn't mean that therefore you can go off and do other things. The foundation holds you stable in the faith. And so you've got to stay connected to the foundation. If you start going exploring other faiths, other ideas, other practices, you start moving that foundation, you're back on shaky ground. So we always got to stay connected to that foundation where it gives us stability. God would, I would think, would say something like, we're more like trees than a building. But more like a tree where our roots go down instead of uh, we wander around like nomads. Yes, we are nomads because this isn't our home. But when you build on the rock, you get into the bedrock deeper. And there's nothing wrong with that taproot getting deep. As a matter of fact, that's what helps us in the tough times when that root's strong in the storms. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Oh, man. I wasn't going to say anything about that, but there it is. Rejoice in the Lord. Do we know how to rejoice in the Lord? Do we know how to have true joy? How to celebrate the Lord's goodness in our lives, in our worship, in our prayers? I hear a lot of people who are believers pray unjoyful prayers. Sing unjoyfully to God. Do we rejoice in Christ? Is this our joy? It's a good question, isn't it? And, and now that I throw it out there, you might be going, well, I don't know if I do or not. That question we need to wrestle with. Do we rejoice in the Lord? Do we even know how to have the true joy that the Holy Spirit brings? I've seen a lot of Christians with scowls on their faces. It's like the love of Jesus is in your heart, but your face isn't getting the message, you know? I got the joy, joy down in my heart. Well, let it out your face, you know, <laughs> kind of thing, you know. When your kids, you, you sing those songs in Bible school and uh, in Sunday school, they're all happy and singing. We, we sing those songs. We go, well, you know, I remember when I was happy as a kid and did that. But that song's so silly now. Not silly. It's us that have gotten silly because we think joy is an option. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If we're not rejoicing in the Lord, we're getting weaker in the faith. Our faith isn't boisterous. Our hearts aren't strengthened without joy. So rejoice in the Lord. And he says, For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul will always err on the side of repetition and reminder than thinking, well, they should have got it the first time. Reminds me of a story of a new preacher in a church and he crafted this sermon about uh, community involvement and the vision for the church and 
people starting to encourage and love one another. And the people after service on his first Sunday said, Great sermon, preacher. Man, we're, you're just a guy for us. We're really excited. Your vision is great. And we're going to do it. And they all bought in, came praying together, and agreed to do it. Next Sunday, the preacher gets up and preaches the same sermon. Some quizzical looks on their faces. And, and they said, Good sermon, preacher. Think it sounds a little repetitive, but pretty good. Thank you. The third Sunday, same sermon. You've heard this story, huh? And then the fourth Sunday, the fourth Sunday, he preaches the same sermon. Now they're getting a little concerned because he's only preaching one sermon. It's the exact same each week, and he's, they're getting a little frustrated. They call a meeting, call a preacher, and say, what's going on? He said, do you only know one sermon? He says, no, I have many. But you're preaching the same one four weeks in a row, same words, same everything. And he says, well, when you start doing that one, we'll go to the next one. <laughs> so he wasn't tired of encouraging them. But they were tired of hearing the encouragement, but they still weren't doing it. The church has to be about the Lord's business to be a church. There are churches that aren't about the Lord's business and their social clubs. A church like that will not give glory to God. Churches are the church. Loving, building up, creating disciples, nurturing Promoting the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what a church does. Beyond that is other stuff that the church gets involved in. But if we're not active with that intent in everything we do, then we don't understand that we need to be encouraged to do it again. Keep in mind, Jesus Christ is central in our lives. Jesus Christ is central focus in everything we do as a church. One of the churches in this book, it was great. They had this room that uh, they had, it was like a parlor. A fairly large church, they have these parlors that have teas in them and coffee and social hour. And one of the family members, uh, wealthier family members deceased, and they named it after that person. And, they, and that family um, put the furniture they wanted in there because it was, after all, named after their family and they were grieving. They said, go ahead and do what you want. And they put all this really nice stuff in there. And then they changed the locks on it. So only that family had the key. And nobody else was allowed to go in there to change the furniture or use it unless they had approval from that family. And mostly it was for the family to do things that that family wanted to do <coughs> and nothing to do with the gospel. The church fell apart because they weren't doing church. They weren't being the church. But as long as the church is being the church, God will ensure that it has the capability and his backing to make sure it's done. And so Paul says, it's not hard for me to encourage you for this. And it's safe. It is very safe to be reminded because we need that. To be about the Lord's business. Because we get complacent. We lose our focus. The world is out there pulling us away. The enemy's still working and he doesn't quit. And he keeps repeating the same stuff and getting us pulled away and bringing distractions and, and other things that cause us to focus differently than on the cause of Christ. So if he's not going to quit, why should we stop saying the things that keep us encouraged? Right? And that's why Paul says that makes it safe. That's why that word safe there isn't out of place. 
So he says in verse, finally verse two, beware the dogs. <laughs> Those evil workers, beware of the mutilation. These are the folks who are trying to infiltrate with false doctrine, false gospel. There were some who were trying to tell them they had to be circumcised. There were some that told them they had to line up with Rome. There were some that said you have to do this to be fitting into society. All these people who had all these things that were not Jesus Christ based things and that were not about free grace of God trying to promote this doctrine within the church. And he said, he called them mutilators of the flesh, evil workers. And some of them would even say, if you really want to be a part of this, you need to suffer like Jesus did. There were some in the faction in the early church that said, you need to have some suffering and pain. And so you need to basically be cut or uh, pierced to identify with Jesus. And if you didn't, you didn't have a mark with him. Crazy. But the mutilator of the flesh, more so he was talking about those who said you had to be circumcised. <laughs> I, I, I really like how Paul tones that down. Because you really don't want to say um, what that is in a way where people go, that's kind of gross. But what he's talking about is people doing things that are according to the Old Testament law that Jesus already fulfilled. The great commandment does not say anything about circumcision of the flesh to mutilate that. It talks about the circumcision of the heart. The Old Testament was an archetype of what God was doing internally in us. As a matter of fact, if you ever read uh, Hebrews or, or, or the work of Moses, God told Moses, build this tabernacle, this traveling tabernacle. Rick and I saw a really cool model of it. And, and what he said is, build it this way. It's a replica of what I showed you was in heaven. So, so it's a pattern after heaven, but it's not the real thing. And so circumcision was to set them apart to say, you belong to God. But the true circumcision is of the heart. But how are you going to know, right? But that is obvious when you have a true fleshly circumcision. So these people were saying, you've got to do both. Otherwise, you don't belong to Jesus. That makes grace earned. And you know what else it does? Ladies, you know, don't you? How can you all be circumcised? You can't. It would leave us out, wouldn't it? would leave the women out. And that's what they were trying to do. In that male-oriented society, women were property, and so they only were allowed to come along with what the men did. Came under their leadership, and it wasn't like uh, it is here in our country. And so what was really tragic about all this is they were trying to get just the men. Women had no part. But that was changing. And Paul, for us this isn't radical, but when Paul said there's no distinction between male and female, that's big for them. That's really big. And today... In a lot of churches, there's still that distinction. 
between male and female in Jesus Christ. You know, some churches hold hard and fast that women cannot teach men because of the verse in Romans or Corinthians or, or what Paul wrote. And yet Paul also says there's no distinction. So you had to reconcile that in your own mind to say which is true. Right? And you have to figure that out. But what I'm trying to get at is if you have to be circumcised to be a part of the kingdom of God, that excludes all females. Unless it's of the heart. And that's God's original intent. Not to belabor this a whole lot, but just real quick, the circumcision that was done physically was the part that connected us to the world around us, the flesh. When you circumcise the heart, it means you cut off the part that's flesh. So that what's exposed is the heart of God and the new creation inside us. Does that make sense? And so when the heart is circumcised, that which connects us to the vile world around us is no longer. It's cut away. And all that's left is the law of God written on our hearts in holiness and godliness. And so Paul says, watch out for those people who are telling you to do the wrong things. And then he throws us verse 3. It almost sounds like he does a 180 on what he just said. But we are the circumcision. Right? We are the circumcision who, then he clarifies, who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Jesus Christ, and have no confidence in what? The flesh. What flesh? Circumcision. Circumcision, as it's going back to, yeah. Circumcision. Because the flesh uh, patterns, the law says you have to have the flesh be circumcised, and therefore you belong to God. But Paul says, we don't have confidence that circumcision draws you to God anymore. We believe it's Jesus Christ, not flesh. That makes sense? And to me, it's still true. We are in the Spirit rejoicing in Jesus Christ. There's that rejoicing again. Can you believe it? He just, he just all over that word, isn't he? We rejoice in Jesus Christ because our flesh, praise God, can't get us salvation. And what we do to the flesh can't make us a part of God. Is this still carried on anywhere? Do they still? Yeah, the babies are still circumcised, sure. I, I know, but I'm talking about spirit. Orthodox Jews probably still there. The, yeah, I'm talking about uh, Pentecostal Jews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know babies are, of course, but I'm talking about do they still anywhere say you have to be circumcised to be a, any kind Make of... you follow the old Jewish laws before yes, you can become a Christian. Yeah. I would hope not. I can't clarify and say definitely yes, but I'm pretty sure that uh, even the Jewish Christians don't mandate that if you are a Gentile and uncircumcised, you have no part. 
Because that would preclude then that because of a flap of skin, you no longer have a part with God. Which makes no sense. No. I mean, they wanted you to follow all the Jewish laws, like the, the mm-hmm. rules for eating. Yes, uh, all worship, of them. Uh, all of them. You had to become a Jew before you could be a Christian, is what they were trying to say. Yes, they were trying to make people who were not Jewish, who may have been Roman or just Gentile, follow all these Jewish customs they knew nothing about and confuse them. I, um, gosh, I'm almost out of time. Well, actually I am, but I want to, it's, to me this is ironic because <clears throat> I believe I need, need to clarify something about circumcision. The flap of skin is what covers that which gives life. The seed-bearing part of the male organ is what gives life. And so the flat taken off of it means there's no connection to flesh. It's all pure. That's why that's done, right? Now, circumcision of the heart. If you cut the flesh off, it means what's there is only what gives life. In other words, there's only room for Jesus there. The Holy Spirit in your heart. All this worldly connection through the flesh goes away. So that's a pretty good foundation for understanding what Paul's about to say about his credentials and and why he doesn't want them. And I'm going to to give you a little teaser here, okay? In our lives, we have things that are very important to us. Things that matter a whole lot. Things that really, really connect us to things. Our heritage, our family, our lineage, all those things are important um, in one way or another in our world to us. And uh, those things are actually what tie us to our humanity, not to our Heavenly Father. And Paul has a great list coming up of all those things that tie him to his deserving relationship with God to deserving it because he's got the lineage the blood the history the culture the training he's got the law completely fulfilled very zealous for the law wanting to please God in all he does right and this is all flesh God's trying to Pull that stuff off of us and to show us our true heart to see what it really beats for. Where it's giving life to. Is it any wonder that the Old Testament says that which is coursing through our veins is the life blood? That there's life in the blood. And that's what the heart circulates is life blood. So when if you do this spiritually, okay, take the physical and apply it to the spiritual realm. If the heart is what pumps forth the lifeblood, you want to get it untainted from the world so that it can put the lifeblood of Jesus Christ into the world without any taint, without any stain, tarnish, or compromise. That's the heart from which all the issues of life flow forth. It's desperately wicked because of the flesh. So we get that uh, uncircumcised, our heart, then it's all heart connected to God. And lifeblood is the seed 
for the next set of believers. The lifeblood being the gospel of Jesus Christ that courses through our veins, that courses through our life spiritually. And if that stuff doesn't fill you with joy and, and uh, thankfulness that you have that through nothing of the flesh. That's what people say who have trouble with God. How could God love me? I'm no good, you know? The low self-esteem, the you know, anger, depression, frustrations, all those things come from the flesh and they try to say, this dictates how God feels about me. Mm -mm. It's all flesh. But when you strip all that away, you have a heart connected to Jesus Christ, the Heavenly Father, and to the world around you that is not um, compromised in any way in how it expresses itself. We as a church have become fleshly. And we need to get back to the place where we're called to be the circumcised hearts. And that's what Paul's going to get into. Um, uh, even, and what he's going to do in the next several verses all the way through uh, his goodness is through verse 5, uh, 6 actually, he talks about his credentials. And we'll pick up the credentials and uh, you're going to see how they line up with some of yours. He obeyed, says he obeyed the law. Uh, as far as the law, spotless. Yeah. Without charge, according to the law. Now this is what he doesn't say here, but he says in another place, even at the stoning of Stephen and going to Damascus to round up Christians to be murdered. He fulfilled the law and was able to do that. Do you understand now why he says the law and the Jewish way of thinking about God won't work? It corrupts free grace. Start with grace. Start with Jesus Christ and go forward on that foundation and what doesn't fit there, get it out of here. That's how I'd say he's saying that. Throw it out. It's garbage. Any thoughts, comments, questions before?